0: Beautiful it was to see hearts broken before the Lord for lost people. Folks, revival doesn't come with us asking God to make us feel better about who we are. Revival comes when we recognize brokenness for what it is. This series we're starting today is called Finished, not Unfinished, because on the cross it was done. And today as we gather in here, as this begins this week of worship, you know, I would say welcome to church, but we really never stop being church. Can I just say welcome to worship? Because we are here to exalt the holy name of God. I don't know what you came in here with today. I don't know how heavy the world is on you. Maybe you got up today and you don't know where that next bill or that next meal is coming from. What I'm here to tell you today, I can't make you any promises, but I can tell you if you die today and you wake up in heaven, it'll be because you know Jesus Christ. That is the only absolute thing that I can share with you today, is that's how good God is. And this week we had this opportunity to worship Christ with Journey Through the Cross. Journey Through the Cross. Did y'all not enjoy that? How many, how many of you, how many of you volunteered this week? Just put your hand up. You volunteered this week. Now, can we let this team know how awesome they did this week? Almost two, get, get this, you ready? Almost 200 people to pull this off. 200 people. And out of that, thank God. God for Timothy Mitchell and Anita Moore. I, c- I cannot tell you, just not, just not just watching them work, but the energy, the compassion, the, the ability to connect. I saw all kinds of things happen this week with just people interacting, setting up the set, tearing down the set. Sharing their stories, sharing the gospel, it was just, it was such a good experience. I don't believe we can chronicle all of the things God did this week. 896 people walked through the journey. Did y'all hear that? 896 people either heard the gospel or worshipped their Lord. And that, to me, is phenomenal. And I don't know that we know yet the effect of what that's going to do in our community. And I can't wait till next year. It's going to be spectacular. So one more time, could we let God know how much we appreciate the opportunity we had this week (laughs) for Journey? So good morning. My name's Jamie, and I get to be the lead pastor here. I am humbled, I'm honored, and I'm blessed that I get to come and break the bread of life with you. If you're joining us online, I just want to say thank you for tuning in today. And as, as we begin to, to dig into this new series, today is Palm Sunday, which when you read the scripture, there's another phrase that's used for that. It's called the triumphal entry. It's, it's one of those narratives that's spoken of in all four gospels. Like you expect the gospels to talk about crucifixion, right? Right? But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. They're kind of synchronized, if you want to think of it in that regard. The narratives and the stories that are told are all kind of congruent and similar. John is the black sheep of the family. He he just kind of wrote his own thing. 90% of John is unique to the book of John. Like, the marriage supper of Cana is in the book of John. But all four write about this triumphal entry where... Jesus leaves the Mount of Olives and he comes down riding on a donkey and enters into that eastern gate. In fact, I can describe it to you all day long. I can even show you pictures or in addition to some of the mission trips that we mentioned a little while ago, we've actually got another sign up. It's not on the church app. It's out in our connection center. Pastor Fred is going to be leading a team in February to the Holy Lands. And right here is a brochure. If you can see that, if you're online, you can call the church office because you have to sign up with a form with Pilgrims United to do this. But this information is right out there in the Connection Center. And you've got to act fast on this because the deposit is due by, mid, by, by mid-May. So it's, it's coming up very fast. But if you have any desire to go with us over and see the sites experience and see and smell and all the things that that make up the biblical narrative i want to encourage you to consider that now this series that i'm calling finished we're going to spend the next three weeks just talking really about this plan that god had this vision that god had for you you see We can talk about the vision of a church all day long, to build buildings, to do all this stuff. Can I tell you what my vision is for you? You. You are my vision. And I want you to be this church's vision. I want you to be the focus because that, other than glorifying of God, you are the focus of the gospel. Jesus did that for you. And so we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. And today I get to preach one of my favorite psalms. So I want to invite you, if you have a device or your Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. This psalm is a part of about five or six psalms called the Hallel Psalms, from 113 to 115. And these psalms were written in praise. A lot of times they were written maybe to accompany a certain festival. What what most believe this psalm was written after The exiles returned to Jerusalem. So maybe after 586, excuse me, 537 BC. What happened then? Well, the Babylons had taken the Jews off and the Persians led by Cyrus came back or they came and they took over the Babylon empire and Cyrus declares that they need to go home. And so the Jews come home and what do they come home to? They come, down, come home to a broken, a broken place. And they're trying to put together some kind of semblance of worship again. And so we're going to dig into this with that in mind. This psalm was written as a praise for the everlasting love of God. The very first verse and the very last verse is a bookend that says this. Give thanks to the Lord For he is good. His loving kindness endures forever. He starts there and he ends there. And between those two endpoints, he unpacks this idea of God being this liberator, this savior of the Jews. So let me set this up with a story. It was the fall of 2002. And I drove down Georgia 400 to the extension site of Dallas Theological Seminary for my first Seminary class now I may have shared this to some with some of you. you may have shared it up here already I didn't know what seminary was I grew up so green. I didn't know it existed The churches I grew up in did not encourage people To go get schooling because they felt like it took away from the inspiration of a preacher. That sounds weird doesn't it? But it was that was just the truth. That just that's the way I grew up So I go to college and I graduate and I got to go to the very first, that sounds, I, I am very old, very first Catalyst Conference. And this gentleman gets up on the stage by by the name of Howard Hendricks, who was a professor at Dallas Seminary. Some of you went, oh yeah, leadership guru. And he got up and he said, I'm going to tell you 10 things about leadership It's going to change your life, not a note on his platform. And I couldn't write fast enough. In fact, after it was over, I couldn't read half of what I wrote because my handwriting's horrible. But all I know is I'm like, he mentioned seminary. I'm like, what is this? And I went, up, I went up to some of the leaders and I said, hey, what is this? Kind of tell me a little bit about it. And so I registered. And I started my first seminary class with Dr. Charles Bayless. And it was Acts and Pauline letters. Pauline being letters of Paul. And I'm telling you, I was a sponge. And each week, Dr. Bayless would come in and he would usually start the time with a devotional thought. And so he asked the question, how many of you have ever heard this verse? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, how many of you have ever heard that verse? All right, now let me ask you the question that Dr. Bayless asked us. What is that day? Now, Some of you will agree. Oh, every day is the day of the Lord. He gave us today. He'll give us tomorrow. Right? That's probably the first thought you had, right? He gives us the breath we breathe. He gives us the days we live, right? Well, you fell into the same trap we did. Because that verse is going to be seen in this text. Because here is the thing. There is a specific day that the psalmist was referring to when he wrote this. One author said this, though sometimes applied in a general way, this statement in its context refers to the day of deliverance, which the psalmist and the people celebrated. If this is the post-exilic community now returning to Jerusalem, they're singing your love is everlasting because you have delivered us. And I, 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 let me just be real for just a moment because I thought about this. I'm like, why does this matter? Like when I get up in here and I'm preaching or you go to a Bible study, why does it matter? Because I know that some of you came in here today and you are heavy hearted. You're worried because you turn on the TV and you're scared to death about what's going on in America. You're worried about what the, what, what the inflation is doing to your finances. You're worried about what's happening to your kids in school. Aren't, are you, are, am, I being, am I right or wrong? Can I remind you we serve a sovereign God who's got all of these things in His control. No, 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 no. Do you, do you believe that? God is still sovereign over this world. He didn't check out when He created it. And we have to trust God's got something important for us to know. He has a plan. And he's talking about a day. A day that's different, unique like no other. A day that was unexpected but full of meaning. A day with intention, a day to remember, to recall. A day. A day to worship a day to exalt, a day to lift up the name of Yahweh, Jehovah God, a day. He had a plan, and that plan had an intentional day. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, when God speaking to the serpent, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. The first reference we get that there's somebody coming. He will bruise you on the head. And you will bruise him on the heel. From the very beginning, God had a plan. And that plan was to solve your sin and my sin problem. You see, because in this room, somebody is the most righteous person in here. In comparison, somebody in here is the most unrighteous person. But when you put this on a graph and say like down here, it's a 0% righteousness and 100% righteousness up here. First of all, no one reaches 100% righteousness on your own. Why? Romans 3.23 is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you could kind of scatter dot us on this graph, some of us are going to be a little bit worse than others. No. You either are a sinner or you're not a sinner. You're either righteous or you're unrighteous. None of us have enough righteousness to get to heaven. And God saw you, and God saw me, and God had a plan. All along, nothing can stop that plan, nothing can change that plan, nothing can redirect it, diminish it, add to it, take away from it, because it's God's plan. Today you and I get to dig a little bit into this plan. So would you mind standing with me as we dig into Psalm 118? Again, he starts out this psalm by talking about praising the Lord, the Lord for his love. And he, he then refers to his distress. The psalmist is saying, in my distress, I cried out to you. And then he talks about the nations surrounding him. And, but God was strong and brought salvation. And then in verse 19, and what I want you to notice here, there's going to be four things about God's plan that made a great difference in how this plan plays out. He says in 19, open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter into them. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter into it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Notice that word. The stone, now here we go. You're about to hear a bunch of verses you've heard before in a lot of different places but it sets up the context for the this is day verse. All right? Here we go. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Now, that verse may not be as familiar. Let me rephrase it. Hosanna. You following? That's the word in that verse. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. And I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And his chesed, his loving kindness is everlasting. Father, as we dig into your word for the next few moments, I usually pray and say, God, don't let us leave the same way we came in. And that is still true. But God, today I'm asking it. Let this motivate us to be broken over somebody lost in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is it about God's plan in regard to this plan that we see in this psalm and that we see portrayed in Jesus' triumphal entry? Well, the first one is this. God has given us a gate opened. God has given us a gate open, And because of that, we have access to God through Jesus' Listen to it again. He said, open to me the gates of righteousness, and I shall enter through them. I will give thanks, or I shall give thanks to the Lord. He says that again in verse 21. This verb in the Hebrew text is, is in a case that is causative. Now, now, let me explain what that means. If I were to um, kick something to move it, I've caused it to move, Right? Like if I had a football up here, that football doesn't move on its own. I kick it and it moves, correct? Both times in this text when it says, I give thanks, it's this reflexive sense that I'm causing myself to do so. Well, well, why would I want to give thanks to the Lord? Well, notice in here this idea of this gate. It's a gate of righteousness, now remember a few minutes ago I said all of us are on this kind of graph. Some of us are way down here. And some of us are way up here. Some of you in this room feel like you're not good enough for anything. Can I be frank? Like you feel like you're not good enough to become a Christian. Which is, which is really op- opposite because we come to Christ to get cleaned up. We don't clean ourselves up to come to Christ. Because if you could do that, then you wouldn't need Jesus to die on the cross, right? Right? Some of us in this room, though, we're arrogant and we're prideful, and we're like, well, I don't need anything anyway. We're kind of like that church in the book of Revelation where we're like, you know, you don't have need of anything. You're neither hot nor cold. And Jesus said, Well, you're lukewarm and it's going to spit you out. You're like, you're kind of in these stuck places. But no one has the righteousness to enter this gate. None of us do. All have sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God, as, as another, as David wrote in Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? But we have a problem, and our sin is our problem. To enter into this gate, this open gate, it's open. If you didn't want anybody to come through the gate, what do you do? You close the gate. I've got three kids. If my kids don't want my other. There are other siblings coming into the room. What do they do? They close the door and they lock it. And then you hear this yelling coming, coming down the hall. Sister won't open her door. I mean, you get that. If you don't want somebody to come in the gate, you close it. This is an open gate. And when we enter into this gate, we are in a place of praise. Why? Because he let us come in the gate. You get that? I can't earn my way into the gate. Jesus earned my way in. Jesus died on the cross and he took my unrighteousness upon himself. He took my sin upon himself so that I might be able to enter into the very presence, the very holiness, the very place of God that is full of righteousness that I'm bankrupt of. He says, come on. In fact, Jesus says it a little bit differently, but same kind of of sense, but in a metaphor in John 10. He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep didn't hear them. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters in through me, he will be saved and he will go out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And He said, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He said, I'm the good shepherd. So he's the one that stands at the gate, keeps all of the enemies out. He's the one that lays down his life for the sheep. That's the gate. That's the way that he's inviting us into. He is giving us his righteousness because none of us have the righteousness necessary to enter in his presence. Ladies and gentlemen, when we're in his presence, when we're in the presence of God, there ought to be something that rises up inside of us, causing us to lift up the holy name of God. Do you see that today? If the sirens went off right now in this town, that a tornado was coming, what would you do? you'd follow the crowd. Somebody in this, this room would probably know we need to get down and get shelter, right? We would need to go down that hallway into the other building and get off of this upper part, right? We would need to get to shelter. So where are you? He's got an open gate and a place that we can come in and find refuge And he's inviting you and me to come just as we are, full of grace, full of truth, full of forgiveness. You know what he's saying? Say, come. He's saying, come. An open gate, full access to God because of what Jesus did. But what's that built upon? Well, the second point it's a stone rejected. We have a foundation of faith in Jesus. Now, you probably have heard this other verse before. The stone which the builders rejected has become the key chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, or this is of the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, I want you to remember, this is if this is the post-exilic Jewish community coming back, and you're traveling, you're like, I cannot wait to be home. I've heard so many... So many stories of Jerusalem. A lot of the older people have already passed on, and they've told stories of the great walls and the beauty of Solomon's temple, the radiance of that glory. And you come up, and you're walking up a hill. You're going toward a plateau as you go toward Jerusalem, and you get there, and it's a pile of rubble. It's a mess. And you see people stirring around because you're trying to put back some semblance of what your life was like, and you're kicking rocks and you're digging through. And maybe over here to the side is this is this guy who's been tasked with helping to rebuild the temple. And 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 he looks at this this rock and how oh, that won't work. And he and he looks at this rock and now oh, that won't work. And he's thrown away because he's looking for a foundational stone. He's looking for the chief stone, the the one on which all the other rocks will be hinged on. See, the nations, as Alan Ross said, had discounted Israel. They were finished. They had been obliterated. And he's looking for that stone that will be the capstone of the rule of God. Only God could have taken a rejected stone And made it a cornerstone. How do you sit today? Do you feel like the world has cast you out? Have you feel like the world has rejected you? Has done you wrong? Has abused you? You feel like that you're in that discarded pile? Well, you have good company. Because that's where Jesus was. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24. He said, therefore, if anybody hears these words of mine and acts on them, he will be compared to a wise man who built his house on a, what? on a what? On a what? I need to hear you say it. A what? He built it on a rock. Come on, have you ever been in the ocean? Like I love going to the ocean. I love the beach. But I do not like being over my head because there's sharks in the water. I like to be able to feel something under my feet so if a wave comes by me and lifts me up it freaks me out a little bit I'm just being honest because I watched Jaws when I was a kid and it freaked me out then too but I want to feel the earth under my feet or if you've ever been in a uh, if you've ever had to like walk through a swamp and you're trying to cross over some water maybe duck hunters and stuff and you lose your footing you're starting to try to find a rock to stand on you are fished in the Chattahoochee you want a rock to stand on Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is that rock. He is that capstone that everybody else threw away. The Pharisees and the Sadducees threw it away. In fact, after his triumphal entry, in in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus said to them in the scriptures after telling a parable about how they're rejecting God and rejecting him as the son, he said, did you all ever read in the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from our Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. It's like something we would never conjure or think up. Then he says to them, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, catch this, producing fruit of it. Did you see that? Taken away at that time from that Jewish religious elite, and given to people like you and me. To build our life on. To be a people with a foundation of faith. Who have walked into the open gate. And we're standing on firm ground. Because of what Jesus did. The plan. The plan that Jesus came and died on that cross. And raised again. I can stake my life on that very plan. And this open gate helps us to find a place with God. And that stone rejected gives us what we stand on. But there's still this question. The question Dr. Bayless asked us that day. What's it mean by this day? What day? This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist is writing here most likely A psalm to be sang during the festival of booths. There were three primary pilgrim festivals in the Jewish culture. This was one of them. Where they commemorated the wanderings of the wilderness. So they're being called back to Jerusalem. And they're singing these Hallel Psalms as as they come to the city. They're celebrating. In fact, this is probably the psalm that Jesus and his disciples sang at the Last Supper. Isn't that crazy? Like we, we see these words and we're just going, oh my gosh. You mean they read this? Yep. And then you see verse 25, which I told you earlier. It says, oh Lord, do save. We're begging you. Hosanna. Hosanna. But when you, when you look at Matthew's record of, of his entry, when they say Hosanna, they add a little tag to that. They add this. Hosanna. To the son of David. He's the Christ. You see, there was a lot of people there that day. And they were throwing their coats down. They were rolling out the red carpet basically for the king. Some of them thought literally he was going to walk up that road and go sit on the throne. They staked their life in that. Just kind of wondered, like, what did Jesus think? What was Jesus feeling when he walked into that city? I've been in a play before. I've preached multiple times. But I can tell you when you're sitting down there or when I'm sitting there getting ready to get up here or you're behind a curtain getting ready to go out on stage, you got all kinds of thoughts that go through your mind. And I kind of wonder what his countenance looked like as he rode into the city on that donkey walking across these things the people had laid out in front of him knowing that his destination wasn't the throne on this earthly side but a cross where he would hang and die a cruel death. What was on the Savior's mind? A day made. This day like no other day. A place where we would know that there was a time. And they cried, Hosanna. Just one word, save us now. When was the last time you found a quiet place and you had nothing else left to pray? Save me. God, if you don't do this, I have no other hope. When was the last time the weight of the burden was so heavy that you said, God, you've got to take this weight off of me? And listen again, there is no absolutes in this world but one, and that is that Jesus Christ died on this cross and was raised again. And if you'll put your trust in him, he will save you. And he wants to lift the burden off of you. Why? Not so that he could say that tomorrow you're going to wake up and the money's going to be there. It might be. If that bill's do it might pop up. And you know what? Thank you, God, for doing that. Or maybe tomorrow you wake up and that relationship that's been broken has been restored. Thank you, God, for doing that. But when was the last time so gut-wrenching was the move in yourself that you, all you could do is, God, if you don't do this, there's no other hope. What brought you here today? And where are you right now? This week of worship we were reflecting on what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus will do, and then what was happening after that, that our Savior lives. He's not dead, and he's sitting at the right hand of God right now, praying for whatever it is that you're going through. And God's got a plan, and this was where that plan was perfected, on the cross. No wonder why Peter would be so bold to stand in front of the Sanhedrin, sitting in front of the very men who sent Jesus to his death and say, let it be known to you people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this man, this name, this man right here, the one who was lame, now stands in good health. He was standing there with them. He didn't run away. He wasn't scared. He was begging them for money and they healed him. Jesus Christ gave his body strength, and he stood up and started walking again. And he's in the same court with Peter and John, and they're saying this. He says to them, he was, is the, the stone that was d- rejected by you, the builders, that now has become the chief cornerstone. Now, remember this. Listen carefully. And there is salvation by no one else. For there is no other name under heaven among, that's been given among men by which we Must be saved. There's no other plan. There's no other option. You are not the one who can bring this about. But God can save the the most wretched person in this room today. If you're joining us online, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's beat you up. But I'm telling you today, you can have hope because there's a name exalted And in his name, we have life. No, 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 no. let me say that again. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, you and I have life. If we don't have this life, all we have is death. He said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I believe that's a twofold reference. It was a reference to Jesus proceeding from the Father to come and do what he did. But that day, those gatherers came in the same name. They came in the hope that something was going to happen because of this man, Jesus Christ. The Lord is God. He has given us light. And it says this, bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. Now, there's only one of two things that could mean. If this is the post-exilic group of people, they don't have any way to sacrifice. Because see, when you came to the altar, that animal was dead already. Y'all following me? They slaughtered the animal at the door. They didn't slaughter it at the altar. And he's telling them to come and tie it off at the altar. Why? Either one, because everything is destroyed and it can't worship yet, or, or it could be, and check this one out, maybe there was so much worship the priest couldn't keep up with it. You follow me? Because remember, this is a festival. They're all coming, and they were all asked to bring your stuff, bring your sacrifices. And it was so much worship. Remember, we started with the gate, right? And I said the gate was the gate of righteousness, and we we step into that and cause ourselves to praise. Maybe the way this kind of closes up. That we have an open gate, a rejected stone, a day made, and a name exalted. It started with the cause of worship, and now it's coming with the practice of worship. That we praise God for His everlasting love that He has for you and that He has for me. Can you and I see today, can we be reminded that no matter what has happened to us before we walked in in this place today, that God is good. God is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting. And because of this, we have a name that we can celebrate. As Paul said in Philippians 2, for this reason, what reason? Going to the cross, God exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confessed on heaven and on earth and under the earth, that he is the Lord the glo- to the glory of God. The weight of God, the saturation of God. If that doesn't get you pumped up, I don't know what else is. Because God's name is above all names. In fact, if you'll go back one verse in Psalm, I want you to go back to verse 21. In Psalm 118, he said, I shall give thanks to you, again, this causative verb, for you have answered me. And then he says this, and you have become my Yeshua, my Jesus. Remember the Christmas story? Joseph has a, has a, has an, a there's an appearance of an angel with, with Joseph. You remember what he tells Joseph? He listen, don't worry, go ahead, marry Mary, it's okay, it's good. Because she's going to have a child. and His name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And you and I, we come along, we get to walk through that gate because of what Jesus did. We get to be in a place Of worship. We get to find ourselves on the rock because of a day that was made for you and me because the plan of God. And there is nothing, nothing that can stop the plan of God. There's nothing that can thwart that plan. There's nothing that can redirect that plan. God's not going to change his mind. God's plan is right there, standing in front of us, that his son died for your sins to be forgiven. And if you're here today, I don't want you to fight it anymore. I, don't, I want you to take your heart and for one moment say, God, where do I stand before you? If you're lost today, if you're lost, you do not know Jesus Christ. You don't have the assurance that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You haven't repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and was raised again. Don't leave this room. I'll be down here at the front. Crosby will be down here. You come and talk to us. And I'm going to invite you again in just a few minutes after I ask you to do one more thing, to come and lay these three people on the altar asking and begging God to save them. Before you do that, I want you to take out your phone. You're like, what? I want you to take out your phone. If you have a smartphone and you have a contact list in that phone, I want you to take your phone out. And I want you to go to your contacts where you've got people's names and phone numbers. Y'all with me? Now, you got your phone out, you got your contacts, and I just want you to flip through them. Because I believe God's going to lay somebody on your heart that doesn't go to church, doesn't know Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to do I want you to send them a text. And I want you to say this Hey, I'm in church right now, and I'm thinking of you. What are you doing next Sunday? Because I'd love you to come with me. You can phrase it however you want to. There's no. Magic formula here. I'm just challenging you. If what I just preached is good enough. If this gospel is good enough. It's good enough for the lost. And God is using you. God is raising you up. Because remember what I said. God's vision. Is for His name to be glorified. But His vision is for you. To know Jesus. To follow Jesus. And if it's good enough for our lives to be changed, then it's good enough for your neighbor, your coworker, and whoever else for their lives to be changed as well. Father, we submit these names to you. I pray you give favor with these texts that we're sending. And if we don't have a phone that we can text with, God, I pray that maybe you would lay on our heart when we get home to make a phone call and to say, Hey, look, I know you've been out of church for a long time. Would you come? Come worship with me next week. Come hear about someone who could change your life. Come here about somebody who's done everything for you. Gave up his life so that you could live. Lord, I love you. I love my church. And I pray, Father, you work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.